Welcome to the Celebration Community Church Podcast, where we exist to meet God, grow in Him, and serve through Him. Welcome to the C3, or the Celebration Community Church Podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Nathan. And I'm the other one, Derek. Good afternoon, Derek. Hello, Nathan. How are you? I am peachy keen. I am excited to continue this conversation on the Trinity. But first, what I want to do is I just want to kind of back up and talk about the word theology. Now... Theology can kind of sound like this very academic pursuit, and it can be, certainly, but I think that every single person who wants to think about God is performing theology, right? If we actually break apart that word, theo is from the Greek theos, or God, Mm -hmm. and logi is the study Study of, right? So if we're talking about the study of God, that sounds like something that's pretty easy for everybody to be able to do or accomplish, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think you're right. I think so often when we use the term theology, you know, we think of a a theologian or someone who has dedicated their career to the study of God or the study of certain elements of God. But honestly, theology is something that should be done by everyone who calls themselves a Christian should be studying and learning. You know, that's part of what we talked about in this past episode about the Trinity was this is why it's important. Theology is the study of God, getting to know who God is so that we can be more like him as his followers. And so, um, yeah, so I think that anybody who is a follower of Jesus, it should be a goal to have the study of God, theology as a part of their life. So the study of God as an abstract intellectual pursuit may turn up to be something that's empty, but perhaps a practical theology is more important. Sure. The way that I think about God tends to be the way that I will behave in the world, right? Right. So if I believe that God is good, mm-hmm. then I will see and try to perform good in the world. If I right. believe that God is in control, my behavior might change based upon that fact, sure. right? Absolutely. So maybe the whole idea for the the believer who is not interested in becoming a seminarian, which right. is the vast majority of people, myself included, right? Yeah. However... To have a, a way of thinking about how God is and how God interacts with the world, each theological pursuits that we primarily root in Scripture, that helps us to un- inform our practice of being Christ-like. You can't Absolutely. blindly pursue being Christ-like if you don't know what Christ is like, and that's performing theology if we say that Christ is God, right? So, I mean, it it seems fairly innocuous to say that theology is the study of God. Where have you seen that either twisted or or maybe used in in a way that's unhelpful, the term theology or theology in 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 and of itself, the practice of? Sure. You know, I I think... 
I, I think that in, in terms of, you know, you believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. That's my theology. That's your theology. Um, those type of things. I think those are, I think that's a potentially dangerous way. Not that we have to agree on everything. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I think it's it's an easy way to just say, I want to believe what I want to believe simply because that's most convenient for me. And I don't want to have to really think hard about having to change something, I think. And so this is this is my theology. This is this is what I believe. Um, and so I've seen it done that way. Or, you know, putting putting man-made theology, and when I mean that, just man ideas on the same level as as something that's scripturally based. And and so I think those are probably the two most destructive ways I've heard the term theology used. And and again, I don't think even necessarily purposeful a lot of times, but I think just a way of trying to prove that that I'm right or that the way I think is good and you should think that way too. Um, if we can use terms sometimes, it makes us feel a little smarter and a little more important. And so um, I would say those are the th- yeah. The I've most destructive it. theological premise, in my opinion, is God agrees with me. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's, that's a fairly uh, powerful argument to be able to have. Uh-huh. Though I would probably say that every theology is man-made because every time we try to interpret the scriptures, we're bringing our experience, we're bringing our knowledge into that. So, you know, what we have to do is we have to adapt and accommodate and get, you know, be okay with not knowing in the mystery of God to try to explain the simply put unexplainable like we mentioned in the last episode, it's kind of a an exercise in futility. Right. But when we ground God's nature in love, mm-hmm. then what we ha- what we have to do is we have to try to figure out how God is love in order to try to act like God in love in the world. And I would right. hope that that would be any Christian's real pursuit is yeah. not just to figure God out because, I mean, like, good luck with right. with that, I suppose. But really, a Christian's goal should be to conform ourselves to the likeness of Christ in the words of Paul, to really behave as God would behave in the world, yeah. as we've been so graciously brought into the family of God, so too should we bring other people graciously into the family of God. Our motive of theology, of our reason for studying who God is, is very, very important. If our motive is is for us to become more important or more knowledgeable um, or just to be smarter, again, not that those things are all bad in and of themselves, but if that's our if that's our purpose and our motive, completely behind it, instead of becoming closer to God and then being willing to change who we are and maybe change some of our thoughts as we figure out how God wants us to be, um, you know, I think that first and foremost has to be our our motive to you know less of me, more of you, God. from last week. We talked about the Godhead. We talked about the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If if we were to summarize 
all of that, I think that here's where I would try to go. And then I want to hear your attempt at the explanation of, <laughs> of this, because, you know, this is the, the two minute or maybe the 30 second version of the the explanation of the Godhead or, or the Trinity. And hopefully we're going to dive into how those, uh, how the Trinity is going to interact with each other in the world sure. now and today. So I'm going to start with the gospel of John. And I'm going to say that John tells us that God is love. Now we've probably f- figured out that love is relational in some way. So one of the fundamental characteristics of God is Love and for that to happen, God must then be relational. Right. So, through the witness of Scripture, we see God revealed in three distinct persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Though performing and behaving somewhat differently from a very narrow perspective, as we focus in on one specific portion of a verse. What we say about God must be true of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And linking these three persons together are the idea of equality, unity, but diversity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And what I mean by that is the Father, the creator of all, is then equal in terms of their identity to the Son and the Spirit, as is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They are diverse, as in three distinct persons that all exist simultaneously. There's not a time where God goes away and is... or the Father goes away, I should say, and is the Son, and then the Son goes away, and then the Spirit is there. Though believers may tangibly interact with just one portion of the the Godhead, but then are unified in the identity of being distinctly Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Do I pick up my Oscar somewhere? (laughs) Yeah, that's very good, very good. (laughs) That was your acceptance speech, I believe. Um, Yeah, you know, I, I think it... As as we said in the first episode, this is this is a really hard discussion, especially for the two of us to have in a room recording this for people to listen to, because it's it can feel like we're talking in circles a lot because our human minds are not capable of fully comprehending this. But that doesn't mean it's not important to talk about, like we said. And this is also but, like two. This is a, a very lay person setting. This right. is not just like we've spent hours and hours going over scriptural texts and yeah. and professional theologians right. in their theological treatises so that yeah. we're like, well, this is what the Westminster Confession says. We have not spent 10,000 yeah, hours becoming masters on the Trinity. We're sitting here <laughs> trying to make something functional for right. people that look like us and live in the same place that we do to help become more Christ-like, and some of that is in a knowledge component. So, Absolutely, yeah. and, and I, I think, again, everything goes back. You, know, you, talk about, you talked about the verse from John, and, and the most important thing when, whenever talking about you know, anything in the study of God, but, but talking about the Trinity of God, is start with, with Scripture, and what does Scripture say about that? We're told that God exists in three persons and but one essence, and that there are there is one God, but there are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so while that's a very difficult concept for us to wrap our human minds around, because 
That's not how we think of something existing necessarily. It is the truth that we find in Scripture. We find, you know, we, we talk about, um, you know, the if you look at other other beliefs about gods gods from um, from ancient times, you yeah. see polytheism and the Greek gods of mm-hmm. of you know Zeus and and all of these different gods who were gods of certain things, right? right? Of certain elements that were in the world or yeah. or certain things like that. What we're told in scripture and what we see in scripture is that that is not the God of, of the, the Bible, that, that the Bible is monotheistic in its, in its nature and its writing, that there is one God that we look to, but there are three persons in that one essence of God. And again, (laughs) how exactly that works we're not meant to know exactly, but we still have a conversation to I'm try gonna, and learn more. I'm going to put a video in the show notes that's from the Bible Project that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not going to really try to explain too much of it, sure. but it has this very interesting three-dimensional shape that is then placed through a, a two-dimensional um plane and and what you can notice is like three dots appearing on that two-dimensional plane though the three-dimensional shape is is far more than that it's all unified a part of the same polygon right and and what they're saying is that though we can identify distinctions of this and from the perspective of the plane you can only see like three different dots or bubbles or whatever it is we cannot comprehend the actual entirety of the shape Mm. right so from the limitations of our minds from biology to like (laughs) an absence of divinity speaking metaphysically right um we we are incapable of quite grasping that and you know something that's kind of dissonant about you know the example and the witness of scripture is we may never understand that but when we're with god i just don't think we'll care so sometimes i i hope like I hope God will give me the answers to all of these questions that I have about, you know, like, why is there evil in the world? And like, you know, why this, why this? But I'm not convinced that I'll care. Right. Um, And, and I guess I'm trying to figure that out myself, but. And and that's hard to comprehend as we set in the world that we do today, because we have all of these questions about, you know, why, why this God, or why would you allow this? Why does this happen? How could this possibly be a part of your plan and those things? And and right now, those are very important questions that we have, and 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 I think important questions for us to wrestle with in in our growth as as believers. But but I think you're right. The moment that we are before God Himself and all of His glory and like the things of this world will fade very quickly. Yeah. yeah. The. Uh... The old adage of turn your eyes upon Jesus, yeah. right? The things of this earth will go strangely dim. Yep. You know? I think there's a lot um, of truth there. Yeah. So I think that you were on to something in terms of contrasting the God of the Bible with the polytheistic water yeah. that the the ancient Israelites and the then Christians emanating from the Israelites would have been in. Mm-hmm. So what does it mean to say that 
that God is one God, that we worship one God. It's, you know, in, in contrast to, to what would have been um, in the world before, the other thoughts of the world is that there is one God that you go to for everything. Um, you know, from, from Greek mythology, you would have gone to, you would have prayed to different gods for different things and different needs. Um, but the, the God of the Bible, the, the God that we, we serve and follow is, is Lord over everything. I mean, we just went through this God is all series in the church and talking about, you know, kind of God's omniscience and God's omnipresence and all of these things that, that, that is, that is what separates um, the God of the Bible from other godlike figures that we see throughout ancient history. Right. From the, the mythological conceptions yeah. of, of God that <laughs> are, are probably well-intentioned, but just sure. fall short, you know, um, to say that there is a central God that is in control of everything outside of the, um, the, the influence of time and space and to be revealed in three persons Help me kind of understand when we're saying that God is one, how there are three different persons of that same God. You used a word that I think is really important, and you said, in essence. Mm-hmm. Oh, help, help me to understand that three, one plus one plus one <laughs> equals, equals one, yeah. right? Because <laughs> no. right. really it feels yeah. like three, right? Yeah. Yep. Now, and, and again, this is the part that, that I think is so hard to put verbiage to and so hard for us yes. to yeah, wrap our absolutely. human minds around because you're right, one plus one plus one equals three. But when we look at the math of God, it doesn't. One plus one plus one equals one. Um, in, in what we're saying there is that is while there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they do not operate completely separate from each other. They are God, and they operate um, together. And, and, and so I think that's where the three persons in one essence is, is the, the Son is not operating in opposition to the Father and the Holy Spirit and any of the other three persons, right, in, in opposition to the others. And so there, that is, I think that's the best way that I can put verbiage yeah. to what that means, is yeah. that they are, they are together. So, so there's, a, there's a unity of perhaps divine will right. and power that Yahweh in and of themselves attains is that an appropriate way to say that though we see jesus exercise the power of yahweh Uh though we see the spirit exercise the omniscience of yahweh it's still yahweh that is functionally performing all of those tasks whether it be uh, an instance that we read of the father the son or the spirit doing sure. said thing. Right. That's kind of the two-dimensional. We see the work of the Father right. in terms of creation, but John tells us that the Son, the the logos of God, is there and creating as well. Right. So we should say what is true of Yahweh the Father is true of Yahweh the Son is Correct. true of Yahweh the Spirit. So in that way, we're we're focusing on the oneness of yes. God, the unity of God. Now, I want to talk about a couple of the ways that people in in history have gotten this wrong. Sure. And this is this is something called a heresy, which uh-huh. just has to do with an incorrect belief about God. Right. 
people were very, very interested in the second, in, around the second century of protecting that oneness of God, of saying that, no, Christianity is not this polytheistic thing. So they come up with this description of God, that one God is re- revealed in three different modes, right. three different ways. And perhaps an analogy today that you may have heard before is God is like water. Right. Water, when cooled, is ice. Right. Water, when at room temperature, and, you know, as the science guy, it's just like, well, you can change the <laughs> conditions to be able to make all sorts of things true, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, water can be just in liquid form, or if you heat it up enough, water is yeah. gas form. But that doesn't change the fact that it's two hydrogen atoms covalently bonded to right. an oxygen atom. How are how are we missing the mark in terms of a, a description like this? Sure. So so this idea is is called modalism, and and what that is is in essence that that God God has existed for all time, but He has taken these taken these different forms when that made the most sense, basically. So the God of the Old Testament is the Father. Right, and so most of what we see there is is his interaction as kind of Lord over top of them, kind of the the God who was making sure everything was going right, helping take care of them from up above, you know, setting on his setting on his throne and making sure they didn't get too far off course and trying to correct them when they did. Um, that didn't work. So then God took the form because right, people were still sinful, the world was still a mess, right? So then God took the form no longer of the Father, but became the Son, no longer being the Father, but just being the Son. And then he did what he did on earth, fulfilled that purpose of God, and now God exists as the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that this... There's a couple reasons that this does not match up scripturally. We see the the very most basic time that we see this happening is Jesus's baptism, right? Jesus right. is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And we're told in scripture that when Jesus comes up out of the water, there is a, there is a bright light and there is a booming voice from heaven who is the father who says, this is my son and him I am well pleased. We're told that the spirit descends like a dove at right. that moment. So we see father, son, and spirit existing at the same time, at the same moment in scripture. So this idea of modalism does not match up with what we see of the God of Scripture. Right. So when we talk about the the water, you know, that, again, this is kind of... And, and I think another thing that's dangerous with these type of examples, again, at its root, very basic elementary understanding, I, under, I understand what's trying to be done here with using H2O as an example, because it does make somebody go, wait a minute, this idea of... Three and one isn't isn't real. Well, it is when it, it gives this idea of well, but think about think about H two O. Think about water. It exists in liquid form. It exists in solid form, and it exists in vapor. Right. The problem that we get there is it does kind of go into this idea of modalism that we talked about. The other thing that I think is dangerous with that line of thinking, if we get too deep into the weeds with this idea, is that how do we use water? however we want it for that moment, right? Right. Like, okay, it's really hot outside, so I need some ice form of water to cool me off. I'm thirsty. I need the liquid form of water. 
I'm cooking. I need the, the boiling vapor form of water to happen, right? And so we look at that. That very easily can draw us to the conclusion of God is who I need him to be when I need him. And I understand that's a little bit of a jump, but we have to be careful too when our examples and our, our ways of trying to explain God can lead us down the path that could be destructive in our way of thinking Like we it. just described the way we think about God is the way we are likely to right. behave yep. in trying to conform to that image of yeah. God, which again, you know, there is so, there's so much ground to cover. Yeah. And I think that this is why the, the lifetime of one day <laughs> of faithfulness <laughs> is far more interesting to me than like being able to comprehend all of this stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I possibly could. So the idea of of modalism kind of falls down when we look at the witness of Scripture and Mm -hmm. see the coexistence of all three of the persons of the Trinity in one temporal instance. Uh That's a a lot to take (laughs) in, right? Yeah. So then perhaps what's another way that we have talked about we we've talked about the idea of polytheism or tritheism mm-hmm. right that the the trinity is three separate gods right we decline that mm-hmm. in using the witness of scripture right yeah. we've talked about modalism one god trying to manifest in three different ways you know you hear analogies all the time about that are just like hey that's heresy but mm-hmm. you know it's it's okay Maybe rather than doing that, rather than trying to find all of these incorrect views of yeah. can can we try to to pull pull the layers back on on what what the Trinity actually is and how yeah. this interacts with each other? And I understand that maybe maybe a visual representation that you've talked about would would be sure a little bit easier to do so. Yeah, and and I think that I think that. Anytime we try to do this, there's 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 going to be a way to easily pick apart um, the 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 example, the illustration, the analogy, yeah. or whatever. Because again, it's beyond our human comprehension. Right. Um, but um, one that that I think is closest and and least destructive is something that's called the shield of the Trinity. And in essence, what that is 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 and and we can find a this image and and link I'll it in the, it show the show notes um, to the Trinity shield. And basically, what it is 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 it is kind of a, a triangular shield that in each corner of the triangle lists you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then in the middle of the triangle is a... So each of those are in a circle. And in the middle of the triangle, there is a circle that says God. And then pointing from each corner... Um, from each corner circle to corner circle, so from Father to Son, Son to Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to Father, there are lines that connect them that say is not. So just to give a, a far better picture, God or the Father is not the Son. Right. The, the son, son is, is not, not the, the spirit. spirit. The, the spirit, spirit is, is not, not the father. father. Okay. And then from each of those corner circles to the middle circle, God, there is a line that connects them that says is. So God or Father is God, Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. Yeah. And so just to kind of give a visual notation of of that's the three separate corners of the triangle, right? right? But that come together in the middle as as one. 
in God. And I, I think another thing that's that's important for us to to discuss here, Nathan, is we've talked a lot about we need to we need to start uh, with Scripture and our foundation there. Yeah. It's important for us to mention here. The term Trinity is not found in Scripture, right? Right, and so so I want to I want to just talk a little bit about where does that term come from? Yeah, absolutely. and where where do we get the term Trinity? Because if we use it that often and we talk about it being biblically accurate, why do we have that term and where does so it? No, this come is from? really important. This can be why maybe theology is off putting to some, yeah. and people are like, I don't do that theology. I just stick with the Bible. Well, you know, theology thinking anything about God is a function of actually reading the Bible, yeah. and you are coming up with theological positions, whether consciously or subconsciously, whenever you try to read the Scriptures and say, what does this mean? Yeah. What does this mean about God? Mm-hmm. Does this mean anything about my life? Yeah. So everyone is doing theology, whether they want to call it that or right. not. So when we have these these large, very academic-sounding words like, yeah. you know, Trinity is not that big, but maybe regeneration right. or and salvation would be a, a different one. We're trying to assign language that helps us to interpret what the authors of the Scriptures are saying and what they're intending to mean, and yeah. then utilizing... <laughs> the the method of how does this apply to me in 21st century right. America, which, hey, isn't mentioned in the Bible either. So does that mean that it doesn't exist? Well, yeah, no, right? So right. and 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 there is a very real element of God that, as we say, God is alive and active today, right? So God is still revealing himself to his creation and to humanity, and we call that biblical revelation. Now, this, is, this again, is, is a slippery slope because people can use something like that in a way to, to get across their own ideas or, or, or believe that God is giving them something specific that's only to them, and, and that, that can create a lot of issues. And, and when we look back over the history of the church, when we look at biblical revelation, something that is a, a newer understanding of who God is or how God works, biblical revelation happens not just with one person, but it happens, God is revealing himself to his people, and there's a greater understanding of what's happening. And so when we talk about the term Trinity, where that shows up is is the early Christian church saw that there was this this kind of issue of we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we say that there's only one God. And so how do we how do we wrap our minds around that? And and so the idea of Trinity comes from I believe it was in the the third and fourth centuries um, where um, we have this event in in church history called the Council of Nicaea, right. and at the Council of Nicaea this was one of the main reasons for gathering together was to say, okay, how do we explain who God is? Right. What, we're, what we're trying to do in the matter of two podcasts, they got a bunch of people together yeah. <laughs> over, over, over a couple centuries to right. figure out. And the, whole, and the whole purpose for this, we're not getting into the, the intricacies of, of church history because right. we're not qualified to do that, but people... You know, Jesus doesn't just explain everything and then goes away. Right. He kind of sticks around for 40 days and then is like, good luck, <laughs> yeah, figure right. this out. 
So all of these attempts, these well-intentioned attempts to figure out, okay, how do I reconcile Jesus as God with my primary understanding of God and the Spirit kind right. of existing? Because we see the Spirit's work um, coming upon people in the in the Old Testament. You know, yeah. in the book of Judges is probably a notable example where you see a lot of that, the Spirit of God right. rushed upon him. But uh-huh. then we we talk about, you know, God as, as Father, and sometimes the Father shows himself as a... As a pillar of smoke or right. a fire, right? Or a still small voice right. sometimes. So they're trying to reconcile, well, how does Jesus fit into all of this? And they come up with these ideas like modalism, trying right. to say that our, our God is yeah. one, or there's one called Sibelianism. And we don't, we don't need to get into all of these, these heresies, which right. were well-intentioned attempts to reconcile the divinity of Jesus right. with their pre-existent notion of divinity. Right. But the council just meets once and for all and said, hey, let's set the record straight. Right. Let's try to really iron out some sort of common understanding yeah. that we can all go forward on. Absolutely. And, yeah. and and so the main accomplishment that comes from that Council of Nicaea is what we know now today as the Nicene Creed. And this is a this is a um, widely accepted within Christian doctrine as um, a, a basically biblical revelation of a little bit more of who God is and his and him revealing to his people how he exists in the Trinity. And so um, I just want to read through the the Nicene Creed and this is what they come they came up with to try to explain who is God and how does he exist in these three persons? And the Nicene Creed just says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end." And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That, in essence, is the document that came from the Council of Nicaea in trying to explain who is God, and how can we say that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit? This was their their scriptural truth of God statement about who God is and how he exists in three parts. My one issue yes. with the Nicene Creed, and I'm probably not the first one to say this, I'm not the most profound person to say it, yep. is, you know, they had an option to talk about love. Yeah. Right. And, and if, if I were to rewrite the Nicene Creed, uh-huh. 
Yeah. Which is just a hilarious thing to think that my <laughs> my opinion is more important than this like sixteen hundred year old yeah. unifying document is. You know, when when I think about why does any of this matter, uh-huh. I I revert back to that first John four that God is love, right. and when we're trying to explain how God operates in the world, yeah. if love is the primary component of something that is God's essence, then we have to understand it in terms of how God relates to the world. And love is inherently relational. You can't just... Love is not this thing that you just have a lot of and then can give to someone. It's it's unquantifiable, but it's this bond in between things. So God to exist without love would mean that God is not love, you know, uh-huh. thinking about a time before time and space are actually created. God must have been love at that point. Otherwise, right. love is not one of his fundamental characteristics. And, and I would say that that we would have to dig in a lot more to what the world was like in the third and fourth centuries and That's what the probably view not the, uh, of God yeah. was, because maybe by them listing God as the maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and visible, they would view that as love because he right. created them. Of of God coming, of Jesus, the Son coming down from heaven on their behalf for salvation. There is love in in you know in Aaron and that, and then um, the the Spirit being the Lord and Giver of life. Right. And so while those terms are not listed out specifically within the Nicene Creed, I think that we could look into a little bit more of of where this came from. That maybe maybe the the understanding of God is love is is already there and that's not what they're trying to explain because there, there's also a purpose behind this document that they're Precisely. trying to yeah. take care of and and you know in in to that end I think that the Nicene Creed is immensely helpful right right the the one thing that you know if if I were to go and do it again which I think is hilarious again right but that's beside the point <laughs> is I would want to frame it in that sure. way. And yeah. that that takes into account my experience and the way in which I view the world. So I'm not here saying like forget the Nicene Creed, let's uh-huh. rewrite it. I'm saying that, you know, in order to really find the significance of of the Trinity, I think we ground it in love. Yeah. And the risk because I'm I'm certain that many of our listeners and our congregants have heard of the Nicene Creed sure. in their other um, in their other religious interactions. Yeah, potentially. But any any religious interaction that is void of love, that yeah. we suck all the meaning and the emotion right. out of, is one that doesn't fully represent God sure. in and of the desire. That is that is there, and right. you know, to to really be able to live this out means that the the meaning of the Trinity, the understanding of the Trinity, is going to somehow help me to become more Christ-like. And maybe that's the thing that I just want to like really try to end on is yeah. just if in the if in the if in these two episodes we try to come up with an image that will always fall short in analogy, 
that is so devoid of that fundamental understanding of God's love being the defining characteristic of who he is, and then that changing the way in which I view the world, then the the Trinity, this, this explanation of God, right as it may be, has no real use for us, sure. right? Can I read something else? <laughs> because as you were mm-hmm. talking, I was hit. So yeah. I did, I did a, a, a message for Encounter Our College Age Ministry over the Trinity a couple of months ago. And as you were talking, I was reminded of this, and this is what I closed the, the message with, was a excerpt from the book Delighting in the Trinity by author Michael Reeves. And, and he's talking about why the Trinity makes the cross so special. Because when we think about the cross, what do we think about? We mainly think about Jesus, Jesus right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we also know that, that God the Father is very, very present in the midst of that, as is the Spirit. And, and here's what it says. This is, this is what makes the cross so special. The wonder is that it is the Son who hangs on the cross. The Father, in His great love, sends the Son, and the Son, delighting to do the will of the Father and sharing His Father's love, goes. Indeed, that love and delight would make the Son unstoppable. He resolutely sets His face to go to Jerusalem, where He knows He will die. He rebukes Peter for even suggesting otherwise. He trembles at the thought of it, but He lays down His life entirely of His own accord. For He, the Son, desires to be both the high priest and the sacrifice for sin, offering himself up to the Father through, through the Spirit. It means that, the, that this God makes no third party suffer to achieve atonement, meaning forgiveness of sins. No third party suffers. The one who dies is the Lamb of God, the Son. And it means that nobody but God contributes to the work of salvation. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit accomplish it all. Now, if God were not triune, if there was no Son no Lamb of God to die in our place, then we would have to atone for our sins ourselves. We would have to provide, for God could not. But hallelujah, God has a Son, and in His infinite kindness He dies, paying the wages of sin for us. It is because God is triune that the cross is such good news for us. So maybe there's a modern version of the Nicene Creed for you (laughs) there, Nathan. Hopefully that's not the moral of, of things. Oh, no. Nathan has problems with fundamental theological. No, but but you're but you're right. It is it is the the love of God that makes the Trinity so special. As I, explained, I think that that's what we're going for. Outside of just like learning about God on its own merits, or to be like, hey, this is what Christians thought of or yeah. thought wrong about. Every theological pursuit is rooted in the the idea that Jesus tells us. We're supposed to love the, the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If loving God with my mind means creating a better image of who I'm actually attempting to give my life to, mm-hmm. then I'm succeeding. But if... I am motivated by just furthering my intellectual pursuit so that the God that I already thought of looks more like that, then yeah. I'm losing it. It's it's like the the portion in First Corinthians where everyone reads it at their wedding, right? But it's a huge criticism to the Corinthian church. And it's just like you can be anything successful. But if you have love, if you have not love, you are wasting yeah. your time. So hopefully, 
And it's my prayer as we conclude that that every pursuit that we have, whether it be to help other people or in more intellectual pursuit, be born out of the desire to love God and love others just as he's loved us. Absolutely.